And now, this is the DDT Wrestling Podcast with DC Matthews and Doc Manson. Doc Manson, at Doc Manson, how often in your daily life are you using Wikipedia? Hmm, that's a good question, DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. I use Wikipedia, I'd say a fair bit. I find it to be a very good starting off place for lots of different kinds of research and learning. Um, emphasis on the starting off point, not the end all be all. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of potentially good information on Wikipedia. I use it for in my personal life as well for, you know, uh, you know, reading up plot summaries of movies and things like that. Sure. I find it to be more complete a lot of times than like the Internet Movie Database. Sure. Um, so I like it for that reason as well. Are you a footnote person? If you're using it for work or something, <clears throat> well, let me. I, oh, suppose, I suppose I should ask that question first. How often in your life, as an actual, you know, doctor of science, are are you using Wikipedia uh, for a research? Not never in a research capacity. If you mean like original novel research, but if you mean like doing research on like topics that I might want to talk about, uh, then frequently. Um, again, it's a good starting off point, but you shouldn't necessarily take everything that's there as gospel. Certainly, it's not a peer-reviewed article where you would, should be confident enough in the information that you'd be citing it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the nice thing about Wikipedia is they do a pretty good job of citing sources, especially on those more scientific or educational articles. Um, so usually you can trace back where a comment is coming from and see for yourself whether or not it's valid or not. And that's certainly what I would recommend that you always do when using Wikipedia in that capacity. Do you donate? Are you part of the 90%, 98% of Wikipedia readers that don't give? Do you just look away? Um, I have like pretty, pretty advanced ad blocking software on my all of my devices, so I haven't seen their petty okay. uh, asks for <clears throat> donations in years. So this is this is why I asked because I was looking up WWE Crown Jewel, and they have the thing at the top that says, "We ask you humbly, don't scroll away." And then if you scroll down, another thing pops up that says, "This isn't a paywall." We'll cut to the chase. Ninety-eight percent of Wikipedia readers don't give; they simply look away. All we ask is two dollars and seventy-five cents. And then you click, you know, you can either click the donate button or the maybe later. If you click the maybe later, you have to give an email address. Otherwise, the original thing pops up. So I will just be closing out of that because I like Wikipedia. Don't get me wrong, but they're irritating. I mean, someday when I'm a billionaire, I will definitely give them the two dollars and seventy five cents that they are asking for. But I got to get mine first. All right. That's fair. Uh. How are you and yours on this lovely Wednesday evening? I mean, pretty good. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I work all day, I work all night, <laughs> and then on Wednesdays I get home from work and I immediately retreat into my podcast den. So, I mean, 
I'm probably spending more time with you than I am with my wife, but you know, that's uh I somehow that's all right. I, She's gonna listen to this show. I somehow doubt know? that. I do not doubt that she will listen to the show and get more details on what is going on in your day-to-day life than she may have <clears throat> if you, you know, if she didn't listen. But I would yeah. I would like to believe that you spend at least some amount of time each evening with your wife. Are you just immediately going down to the couch and falling asleep? Not really, but like there are nights that I get home, I eat, spend a little bit of time with her as we're eating, and then I'm just up here till it's time to sleep. The things you do to be able to work those three jobs. Things you do. <clears throat> yeah. No, we had the last week was very busy and we definitely retreated into separate corners, not because we were working on things necessarily, but just we needed that total mental decompression time. Yeah, it's, you just had a week where you didn't like each other. I get it. It's just busy. You get busy and you're like, you know what? I've been reading comics. You know, she's got all of these various projects and things she's working on. She's busy. I'm like, rocking back and forth on my clown shoes, just sort of waiting to an appropriate time for me to fall asleep. <clears throat> well, well, what if you, uh, what if you did something productive with your life, DC? I'm plenty productive in terms of, you know, <clears throat> I have been wondering over the last couple of weeks, it happens a couple of times every year. Like, should I be doing something more? I don't want to be an administrator. I don't particularly want to go back and get my PhD though. I did look, at, you know, potentially doing that, it wouldn't would involve. And it seemed not like a, not, not a great idea. And you don't seem to be selling it very well yourself. I don't recommend it. So my wife has wondered if I could turn, you know, since I have this mixer and podcasting experience and she's like, you have talent in this area. And I'm like, I have talent to be able to talk. Like, she's like, maybe you could edit other people's podcasts. And I'm like, I am not an editor. <laughs> I do not edit. You could learn. I could learn. I could learn. So we shall see. We shall what see. What if you, um, I don't know. What if you became like a children's book illustrator or something like that? I know you spend a lot of time drawing. I love you. Uh, we have, I have considered being a children's poet and I have written yeah, I have, beatnik. I have some poems that I have written, but the problem is what do you do with them? What you're not supposed to, I have a relative who is an author, not a famous one, but she is an author. She has published books before. Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, you're not supposed to post your work online because then it's out there in the public domain. So I'm like, so I have these poems that are, you know, probably okay. Do I like reach out to somebody and be like, oh, I have 60 poems. They're probably going to be like, let me know when you have 6,000 poems and maybe we can talk. Yeah. Um, Self-publish, man. I could self-publish, I suppose. I don't like these days. I don't buy that whole. Oh, you got to get an agent and a publisher and all that. Like. Just put it out there. If there's an audience, they'll find it. <laughs> just like an audience has not found this podcast. You know, I mean, just proof of concept. Yeah. That's all. <clears throat> I'm sure I could sell, you know, five to ten. 
which you know would be, I'd be as a successfully poet. I want I want to you know how can I be Shel Silverstein? Remember Shel Silverstein? I do. I was reading some Shel Silverstein to my students today. Broke out a light in the eye. He had a lot of crazy uh, illustrations as well. They were. I, I neglected to show them the the poem of the person who gets stung by a bee on the ass. Yeah. Uh, although one of my kids was reading it on his own, he found it and proceeded to show everybody. I'm surprised he didn't run down the hall and share it with other people. Uh, What's wrong with that? It, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that turned our reading time into a giggle fest time. Is your wife going to be baking all of these recipes that she found in her baking with Dory cookbook? No, I doubt it. Some of these look good. Yeah, I would eat any of them. Whatever that little layer cake entremet is with the scorched marshmallows on top looks. I want the one before that, that roll. The Swiss roll sort of thing? Yeah. I know that people, you know, you and I have both watched the Bake Off. I know that there are people who will bake along with the Bake Off and will try to make at least one of the things per episode. You know, if if the theme is make a Swiss roll, they try to make a Swiss roll if it's Make some chocolate biscuits. They make some chocolate biscuits. But that seems like a lot of work. Sure does. It's just, you know what I don't like? Cleaning up. Work. I, can I tell you, I should tell you this more often. I am incredibly impressed at the work ethic required to do everything it is that you are doing. Because I understand. Why? Why am I impressed? Yeah. You're doing a tremendous, you, you have chosen. You have volunteered. This I've chosen f- to be an asshole. No. You know, like that's not worthy of respect. It is worthy of respect. You're doing all of this extra stuff. You are trying to branch out into a new area, something that I know you are interested in, and you are putting in the work to do so. And that is commendable because you could have been like, you know what? I Yes, I do want to do that, but I could stay. I could be working on season two of Horrid. And instead you were like, no, I am going to try this thing. And see how it works. I mean, you know, if Horrid paid anything, I probably would have gone with a season two of that. Well, that's but. it. That's it. I've got, you know, season three of the joy of booking the tournament of nerdiness that is mostly done. And I'm like, how can I monetize this? What company might want to sponsor a fantasy wrestling made up tournament? Until you have literally thousands of listeners, nobody wants to monetize any of your podcasts. Except for our lovely Patreon supporters. Well, yes, but that, I mean, that's not the same thing no. as, as, you know, getting a, a sponsor. That's I mean, this is the goodness of the heart of people who enjoy what we do. And I'm glad they exist. I'm glad they found so us. So what, what I need to do, oof. what I need to do, not only yes. to love our Patreon supporters, which I do till the end of time, I need to find a crown prince of some, you know, nation out there on another continent that is a bajillionaire and will give me $50 million to do one of these tournaments. That's what I need. I need a Saudi prince to sponsor me, just like the WWE has a Saudi prince to sponsor them. Something tells me you you wouldn't get yourself into that working relationship. No, probably not, especially since they'd be like, you know, we're going to tell you who has to win your tournament. And I'll be like, no. No, William Regal wins every tournament. That's that's either him or Bo Dallas. That's all we got. Uh, I mentioned the Saudi Prince, though, because there is a WWE pay-per-view tomorrow. 
You could take the day off from work tomorrow and turn on the old peacock and watch WWE Crown Jewel. I know you call it WWE Blood Money. Uh, and unlike previous versions, this is not a you know non-canon sort of thing. This is the storylines have been leading to this. This is the only pay-per-view WWE has in the month of October is Crown Jewel. So the card is good. I wish I would watch it, but I'm not gonna. Yeah, I would rather watch Halloween Kills again than... Uh... We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Don't try to segue in the middle of my segue. We'll get there. Um, right. Do you even care? You don't, do you? No, you don't I don't care at all. We're even going to crown a king and queen of the ring. And I love tournaments. And I'm not going to watch. I might watch the YouTube clips if Xavier Woods wins king of the ring. I may watch that. But yeah, there's going to be a Hell in a Cell match. There's a no-holds-barred match. Titles are on the line. I'm not even going to read the Wikipedia page to you, am I? Nope. I mean, you can. <laughs> you don't. What's Brock Lesnar doing? Fighting Roman Reigns. Same as always. All right. Goldberg versus Bobby Lashley again. All right. Uh, the King of the Ring finals, Finn Balor versus Xavier Woods. All right. The Queen of the Ring finals. Zelina Vega versus Dewdrop. Okay. Uh, we are getting Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair. That is happening. Oh, I don't care about that at all. <laughs> um, okay. What about... Because, you know, usually when, you, when they go to Saudi Arabia, there's usually some form of you know, uh, fan service going on. Well, obviously, Goldberg is on the card, but any other returning nope. monstrosities? You're not, <clears throat> you're not getting The Undertaker. You're not getting Triple H. You're not getting Shawn Michaels. You're not getting Kurt Angle. Uh, you're getting Edge. Hacksaw Jim Duggan? No, he just had surgery. Feel better, Hacksaw. Uh, you're getting Edge and Goldberg. That's it. That's your fan What's service. What's Edge doing? Wrestling Seth Rollins and Hell in a Cell. They can do a Money in the Bank match too, because I mean, let's see, they've got Hell in a Cell, <clears throat> they've got two King of the Ring matches. Yeah, they're gonna do a Tables, Lives, Chairs match. They're gonna do a War Games match at this thing too, or what? Else, not, what else we got on the card? We're not getting a Greatest Royal Rumble. Uh, that's too bad. It was no. the greatest. No, no. I mean, honestly, the Greatest Royal Rumble probably gave us the greatest. Royal Rumble moment of all time. So Titus O'Neil, Titus O'Neil, yeah. <laughs> poor, Just that, that poor long Titus. ass slide <clears throat> straight underneath that ring. I think. Oh my if, goodness! If Titus isn't a Hall of Famer already, he will be for his charitable work. But that that moment needs to get inducted into the Hall of Fame just on its own. Never let that moment die, folks. Never let it die. Even though he almost did, he could have almost. He could have died. Uh, did not perish. It, so, uh, what, what's the over under on um, superstars being left abandoned in Saudi Arabia and being unable to leave the country as they are held hostage? What's the uh, got betting odds on that? Because I'm sure there are betting odds on all the matches out by now. I, I don't feel great for Riddle's chances. He's like yeah, he looks like the kind not. of guy who's going to say or do something. Um. 
yeah, I don't know. We'll see if the plane gets held on the runway again or what have you. But the, it looks like if this pay-per-view was happening on Sunday from Little Rock, Arkansas, I would watch and enjoy as many of these matches. But again, I can't bring myself to to be to be watching this. This is not the kind of bedfellows that I want to be supporting with at least my eyes. So yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming there was not a lot of wrestling in the uh in the world of uh Doc Manson this week. No wrestling. I did receive a text message from friend of the show GQ yep, telling me, me too. to check out DB versus Suzuki. Yeah. Uh, I have not. It was but. good. Do you enjoy strong style? Eh. You enjoy watching people just hit each other or kick I each other like for 20 I feel like I'm minutes? supposed to enjoy strong style, but then I've never seen anybody who they say practices strong style that I've been particularly enamored with. Yeah. Like Shinsuke, I like the personality sure. of him, but yeah, the in ring, the between the rope stuff, I've always been kind of eh, yeah. about. So yeah. I love Minoru Suzuki. Don't get me wrong. I think he's amazing. The theme song's excellent. The look is excellent. You know, the, the in ring work is very, very good. And the match itself was good, but the last eight minutes were just them, you know, beating each other down even more. The greatest moment, and I would recommend watching just for this, is at one point they're doing this at the early in the match, feeling each other out. Slaps, chops, kicks, you know, come on, bring it on, hit me again, hit me harder, hit me harder. And at one point, Suzuki kind of rears back and does a forearm to the side of Daniel Bryan's head, and Bryan Danielson fell as if he had been shot. Just <laughs> full sack of potatoes. And you, and because he has the history that he has in your head, you're like, oh, he's dead. Or at least that's an old move of his. He does that yeah. from time to time, which, which you know, is, I've seen him take super kicks where he does that same thing. Yeah. Where he just kind of spins. The eyes are just blank and yeah. he just falls. Nope. He landed face down and didn't move for a very long time. And you were just like, yep, you could have got that could have been a concussion because it was a hard hit. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's good storytelling, right? But yeah, the match was good. Um, you know what? I have been. I watched an episode and a half of Impact. All right, because Christopher um, recent recent Impact recent or? Impact back from September because Christopher Daniels has made his return to Impact Wrestling. I like to point out that I I don't I personally wouldn't consider Impacts from September as being particularly recent, uh, but but I, I'll give it to you. I'm not I, will, watching, I will give it to you. <coughs> I'm not watching the episodes from, you know. Yeah, it's not from 2004. So, yeah. all right. Um, but, you know, just interestingly enough, a lot of wrestlers that I was sort of interested in, you know, I did not expect to see. I knew that Zack Ryder and uh, Kurt Hawkins were there. I knew that Chris uh, Sabin was still there from, you know, I did not know D'Lo Brown was on commentary. That was nice to see. Hmm. I did not know that Aiden English is a part of the Impact roster. That was something nice to see. Um, Which one was Aiden English again? The one of the Vaude villains, the the artist. Yeah, which one? The bald one. Yeah, the tall one. Okay. Who then? So he was Ru the one who went on to be with Rusev yes. for a little bit there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 
There's this, you know, one of the sons of Haku is part of it. Like there's enough wrestlers there that I was like, I am surprised at how many people I saw that I was like, Hey, I like you. Matt Stryker was on commentary for part of the episode. And I was like, Hey, I know you. So I, I enjoyed what I saw. I will plan on watching some more. Willie Mack is there from, uh, oh, yeah. Lucha Underground. That's it. That reaction right there was how I felt watching it. And I was like, I, this is enough for me that I will watch again because this was fun. You get your Sue Young, you know. So, yeah. so yeah. I like Willie Mack too. That's a good, yeah. that's a good pull there. Yeah. Teaming with Rich Swan from like the Cruiserweight Classic, which is not oh, necessarily a great pull. But all right. You, you have humored me long enough. I've gotten to talk wrestling. We're 20 minutes in. I thank you for your kindness, sir. Uh, please tell me about your incredible night. I want to know the whole thing. Did GQ come? Did he not come? What did you eat? And how amazing was Halloween Kills? The floor is yours. GQ did not come. He had come the week before for um, the Joe Bob Briggs special. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So watched Halloween Kills last weekend on uh, Friday when it released on Peacock. And, you know, I got about 20 minutes into the movie when I think I sent out my first tweet. Uh-oh. And my first tweet was basically something along the lines of, I'm starting to get the feeling this movie might not be very good. Oh, no. Yeah. And it was not. It was not very good. What was wrong with yeah. it? everything (laughs) okay okay let me back it up for a second halloween 2018 sure was sort of you know a reboot of the franchise um it serves in the continuity as a direct sequel to the first film yes ignores everything else that happens after the first film and you know it's a long series there's a lot of stuff that they're ignoring and that 2018 movie I had problems with it, but they were relatively minor problems. For the most part, the the film from 2018 was a very successful reboot of that franchise, taking it in a new direction, doing some very interesting work. I thought there was, you know, some plot twists that were not that were borderline nonsensical. But looking past that, they treated the material with respect They treated it very seriously. Michael Myers was like this very um, sort of unknowable enigma in the film. Like, and, you know, they treated him where he was very, the kills were very violent in a way that was, you know, that was, that played to a modern audience. You know what I mean? They, they upped, they upped the, the scare factor they hope they up they certainly up the violence since the original film in 1978 to something that a modern horror fan would have liked and again just the way they brought in the lore of the franchise the way they brought back jamie lee curtis the way they just went with all that story stuff it was like wow the people behind this movie get it and they did something really smart and yeah i had my minor issues with it I love to argue with gq about that film because he thinks it was awesome and i always <laughs> say yeah but um, you know, cause like, it, but, but at the end of the day, I do think 2018 was a very good film just with some minor issues. Sure. This film. Yeah. Halloween kills. Yeah. 
was a a, a dumpster fire of a film, I think, ultimately. So, So I just, it's the exact same filmmakers, same writer, same director, same team that put together 2018. So like, I don't understand how this happened. And don't get me wrong. It's there. There's a lot of division online. There's a lot of fans out there who love the film and said it was great. I don't know what movie they watched because <laughs> I feel like it couldn't possibly be the movie that I watched. Yeah. Um. Where is that first movie? The 2018 version was again very self serious. It expanded the lore. It took it, it again. It treated it with the respect I think that the property deserves. You know, as a horror fan who really thinks that Halloween is one of the cornerstones of the entire genre. Mm-hmm. But this film was campy in all of the wrong ways, in, in cringe-inducing ways. Like, there are, there's, there's characters in this film, I don't want to give away too much, but there's characters in this film uh, who are basically a homosexual couple. And that's fine. Like, I have no problems with that. Of course. But they are caricatures of homosexual males Mm. like they're both named john they refer to each other as big john and little john and of course the little guy is big john and the big guy is little john and and like they're they're smoking weed and they're dancing to silly halloween music in their home like it's just campy to a level that to me just did not play at all. Sure. And then, like, on top of that, one of the things they did with this film, there's a lot of fan service. They went back and, you know, they they took lore from back in the day, and they're now they're doing the same thing they tried to do in 2018, where they update and they expand, right? They took a lot of characters from the original movie. In the original movie, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is a babysitter, right? Yeah. And she's babysitting a little kid, Tommy Doyle, and her friend Annie is babysitting Lindsay Wallace down the street. And at some point in the film, those two, two kids come together and Jamie Lee is watching them both as, you know, the climax of the film approaches. And in this film, we go back, we grab those child actors that played those roles and they bring them into this film now as their adult characters. All so right. The same, and the same actors. Same no. actors. Wow. Same actress. Okay. okay. And I got to tell you, there's a reason why these two people are not actors. <laughs> one of them is on that Real Housewives show. I don't know which oh, one. God. Okay. So she's like, she's around the world of acting, but, but she is not an actress. And they spend a lot of time with these characters. And the entire time I'm watching them, I'm just like, they cannot act their way out of a paper bag. Sure. And so like, there's a performance problem there to start with. Yep. But even beyond that, like I'm one of those people that look at the original Halloween uh, 1978 and I view it as a masterpiece because of the uh, how little explanation the film has. Right. There's a lot of ambiguity at the end of the film. Michael, um, he's in the house attacking Lori. Dr. Loomis comes across him, shoots him a few times. He falls out the window, doubles over the railing, falls down to the yard below. Cut away for a minute, go back. And the body is gone, right? And then, basically, the the ending moments of that film, Laurie says to Dr. Loomis, was it the boogeyman? And Dr. Loomis says, as a matter of fact, it was. 
And we have these panning shots around the neighborhood, almost like the point of view shots that we've had of Michael Myers throughout the film, right? But so it's, it's sort of implying he could be anywhere still, but you don't know. Did he live? Did he die? Was, did he, was he wearing a vest? Is he supernatural? Mm-hmm. Is he just a man who happened to crawl away? You don't know at the end of that film how that goes. And 2018 did nothing to fill in any of those gaps. Michael Myers was found. He was put away in an asylum. And he's been there for the last 40 years. This film. Like, again, let's go back to the child actors for a second. I didn't need to know that little Tommy Doyle grew up to be a townie in the town of Haddonfield, Illinois. I didn't need to know that he never left the town and he has this unholy fixation with with Laurie Strode for some reason that's totally not explored in 2018, just suddenly happens here. You know, I didn't need to know that he grew up to be essentially a red hat Trump townie who loves guns and is buying into conspiracy theories and paranoia and rabbling together a posse of individuals to go out into the town to hunt down Michael Myers vigilante style. Like I didn't need that backstory for that character. I didn't need to know that's where he ended up in life. You know what I mean? I like the ambiguity of not knowing really what happened to him and to be disappointed in the way that he is treated as a character in this film to me is really off putting. Um, that's so what's one of the things that happened in this film Obviously, the, the, the events of 2018 have happened. Yep. And at the end of that film, something has happened where um, Lori and her daughter and her granddaughter think they've taken care of Michael Myers and they think he's dead. And we find out in the opening moments of this film that that is not the case, right? <sighs> of course. They get to the hospital and as they are in the hospital tending to Lori and everybody else's wounds... Um, you know, the town is now becoming aware of what's happened earlier in the night. And so this this panic, so this hysteria starts to take over the town, right? And they go basically on this hunt for Michael. And of course, now there's this other um, mental patient that's also escaped at the same time as Michael, who they track down because they don't know what Michael looks like and they accidentally cause his death. And like, it's just like this the series of events that just don't need to happen. And like, how do they not know what Michael looked like? Like the cops seem to not know what Michael looked like. Like he's been in an asylum for 40 years. If he got out and he was murdering everybody, wouldn't the first thing the sheriff do be to call up the asylum and say, hi, Michael Myers is out. Can you fax over or email us a photo so we know the guy that we're looking for? Like, wouldn't that be the first fucking thing that law enforcement does? And instead, Instead, nobody knows what he looks like. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I have a question. As as someone who doesn't watch these movies, do you, as the audience member, know what Michael Myers looks like? No, you do not. Under the Shatner mask? You do not. Okay. And in fact, they were very, I, I will say that. That was one thing I liked about this film. They were very clever about that. At some point in the evening, and this is another thing that boggles my mind. At some point in the evening, we're in a bar and they're looking at a television. The television is topic talking about the escaped, uh, the escapees, right? Sure. And there's a picture on the TV that's the other mental patient, and you see his photo. And then, like Tommy Doyle's in the shot, and the focus of the camera changes. So Tommy's in focus. The TV goes out of focus as the picture changes. So you assume that's Michael on the television, but you, as the audience, are not Don't able see to see it. Got it. But 
in this world, in theory, that means they know what he looks like. So how is it later when they're looking for him, they don't know what he looks like? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and then like on top of that, there's things like, okay, so that gay couple I was talking about yeah. earlier in the film, Jonathan. they come into the film because they live in the old Myers house. Um, you know, it's since been bought and sold. It's 40 years later. They live in that house now. And Michael goes back there. Okay. And here's the other thing. Again, another big plot hole to me. When Michael escaped in 1978, the first thing that he did was he went back to his house in Haddonfield. So don't you think 40 years later, when he escapes again, that would be the first the, place. The cops, went. knowing this is what he did last time, wouldn't you think that would be like the first place that they went to look for him? Or at the very least, they would take one, because there's apparently this small town in, in, in Illinois has. I don't know, 18 police officers. We see a million of them in this film. You think they would send one of them to stake out the old Myers house, sure. knowing that his M.O. is to return there. You think they would just go and watch the house? No, no, they don't do that. No, they don't do that. And again, the part of the evening that this is supposed to be taking place in, like the cops at this point are well aware of what's going on. The cops are going around town telling people to get off the streets. Like, you think they would have sent somebody to the house that he was known to go back to on several occasions. It just doesn't, it's things like that that I feel like are insulting my intelligence as an audience member. Yeah. It just, and it makes me very angry. And on top of it, like the whole paranoia thing with the children actors didn't, did not work for me. The rabble rousing of them, like they are in a bar, they hear about the escape, they hear some people were killed, and they immediately go on this hunt looking for Michael. And it's just like, like it would be one thing, like if they saw Michael, if Michael like burst into the bar, stabbed a few of them, and then like they started to go on a hunt that way. Yep. But like they, they are literally going on this hunt with like literally a ghost of an idea of if this guy is even really out there. You know what I mean? Like the, the proper motivation <clears throat> does not appear to be in place for this to have happened. Um, Okay. And then again, they, they, there's like this scene in the hospital, the, the, the mental patient makes his way to the hospital. And for some reason, the entire town is at the hospital. There's actually a good reason. There's a lot of people who have been dead and a lot of family members have come and like to identify body remains and things like that. But basically, the whole freaking town is at the hospital. And the other escape mental patient comes basically asking for help. But since nobody knows what Michael Myers looks like, the entire crowd assumes that he is Michael Myers. They chase him throughout the entire um uh, mental war this you know this poor mentally ill person uh, one of the people does try to help him gets him locked in this hallway upstairs between these two locking doors and of course the crowd surrounds him on both sides they're breaking down the windows to get at him this mental patient breaks the window and throws himself to his death Ugh. which is shown in incredibly gory detail when he lands on the ground and i'm just like this like I get what you're doing. Like, I understand that you're showing that these people and there's even a moment where like some of the main characters are looking at each other as this is happening and they're realizing like this has gotten out of control. Yeah. But like it, it, it did not need to play that way. The way it plays gives you zero sympathy or empathy for these characters. Like it, it just shows that they, they really are idiots if they thought this was the right approach to the situation. You know, they just go the completely wrong way in terms of characterizing the, these individuals that I think we're supposed to care about. Um, and ultimately, I don't care about any of them at all. And of course, there's a token 
um, you know, uh, African American, or I should say black, I don't know their, their background, but a, a token sort of black couple who have those same typical sort of stereotypes uh, of personalities that you find in these films. And I thought that was completely unnecessary. Um, and, and then the other thing that I really hate about it is as um, there's two more things I really hate about it. One, I've, I tweeted this as well. Halloween two, the original Halloween two, Laurie Strode is in the hospital after the events of Halloween one. The big complaint about that film is Jamie Lee Curtis is barely in it. She, she's in the hospital unconscious for almost the entire film. And she barely is awake to, to sort of limp down the hallways during the climax of the film as she's trying to escape from Michael. This film, she spends the entire movie in the hospital. How did they do that again? It's like they, it's like they decided to mirror the events of Halloween 2 in their update as though they were paying homage. But in doing so, they just created the exact same problem that is present in that original film. This was your opportunity to pay homage and then fix it. Mm-hmm. And they never fix it. And then finally, the thing that I hate above everything else is in this film, they, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, establish Michael Myers as a supernatural character. Yep. He literally gets shot. We watch his chest get shot like six times. We see blood squibs exploding out of him. We see him get beaten to death, stabbed by this vigilante mob. And after all of that, he just gets right back up and murders all of them. He is established without, a, without, without any shadow of a doubt to be purely supernatural. They also established that he apparently has the ability to teleport places. He can, he can literally just appear and disappear. And within the context of the film, it appears that that is a power that he has. And they're, they, they seem to be implying, not implying, Laurie Strode literally says this in like a monologue over the climax of the film that apparently is one thing that happened in these two films is the body count is insane. He kills a mil- He kills so many people in these two films. It's ridiculous. Um, but apparently as he kills people, he's growing stronger. You know, he's gaining super strength. He's becoming more invulnerable. He's be able to becoming able to teleport. I don't know. And like, she's like talking about this and she's talking about this in the hospital with this other sheriff deputy character that's in there injured with her as well and then the thing that dawns on dawned on me anyways i hope dawns on everybody is she's saying this monologue at like over the climax of the film as we're watching what's happening with michael you know getting beaten down by this vigilante crowd but then just basically springing back to life and you realize she is giving this monologue from the hospital she has not left the hospital the entire movie she is not present at the scene where this is happening. She has no window into what is happening there. She has no communication with anybody that is there. She is giving us this expository dump of information that she has no ability to know. And somehow we're supposed to accept it as the truth of what's happening over there across town that she has no idea or way of knowing that it's happening. Like so, none of it is structured in any way as a plot, as a script characterization. None of it is good or makes <clears> any <throat> sense in any way to anyone who is sitting there looking at it with any sort of discerning eye. Uh, and again, it's campy with poor acting, I think. And, and it just has none of, I think, the respect and gravitas that they implied would be there based off of their treatment of the material 
in Halloween 2018. And that was immensely disappointing. Is was that like a 20-minute rant from me on this film? Almost exactly. Holy. Uh, is the implication that she and Michael are connected in some way? Not, Maybe. I, I mean, almost like, so she can sense him and she knows what he's able to do. And I know. would say that is totally the implication. But here's the thing. And, it, and this is something that gets said in the film. Um, Lori's daughter says this to Lori. Basically, it becomes established in the first film that you know, she, she is basically... Okay, in, Hall, in Halloween 2018, yep. we re-pick up 40 years later with Lori, and she's basically like this hermit character living in the woods. She's like a survivalist who believes that Michael is coming for her, right? You know, she had that experience when she was younger, and she just knows he's going to be back because she knows that he is the boogeyman and he's eventually going to come for her. You know what I mean? Yep. And in that film, in 2018, when Michael escapes, he is just going around Haddonfield completely randomly. He just goes into houses, and he murders anybody he comes across. No rhyme, no reason. Again, the thing I love about Michael Myers, no explanation, no reasoning, no explanation for why he's doing the things he's doing. He just is doing it. Um, and in that film... The, the twist of that film that I hate, so I guess skip it if you don't want to hear it, is that his doctor that's been treating him at the asylum is actually the one who's obsessed with this connection between Michael and Lori. He picks Michael up and brings him basically to Lori's house. Okay. And so he's the reason why Michael even finds his way to Lori in that film. Hmm. And it gets talked about in this film. The daughter is talking to Lori because Lori is you know, thinking that Michael is obsessed with her. The daughter tells her that and says, he doesn't give a shit about you. You just happened to be there back in 78. You just happened to be there again this time. And to me, if they were smart, that's the movie. That's the story. She's spent her entire life living in fear of this thing that she thinks is coming for her, that she thinks is obsessed with her. That's the movie. The movie is... This guy doesn't give a shit about you. It yeah. was never about you. Your entire life was wasted. That's the horror. You spent your entire life fearing this thing that is indifferent towards you. That's the movie. That's the trilogy. If you ask me, that's the storyline that you should be telling. And instead, in the final moments of the second film, because again, they sort of start going there, right? The daughter mentions that to Lori. And I'm like, okay, maybe they're going to do the smart thing. Maybe they're actually doing this. Yep. But for her to know the things that she knows, and at the very end of the film, this is kind of spoilers for Halloween Ends. Not really, but kind of spoilers. You kind of just end on this shot. Michael Myers in the old Myers house, staring out the window. Lori in the hospital, staring out the window. The yeah. implication being that, yes, there is some sort of connection. Other. They're seeing each other through spatial time, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're a dyad. Is that what they called it in Star Wars? Yeah, with Ray? Absolutely. And but to me, the interesting story there is Laurie is just accidental collateral damage. You know what I mean? To me, that is the interesting story. This, this dyad, as you say, I think that is the perfect use of the term. It, to me, is just the total wrong direction. Michael Myers, to me, has always been best when there's no motivation. Chaos. 
Yes. That's what that's what, literally what Sam Loomis says about him, right? He just had these these black eyes, the devil's eyes, no reasoning behind them. And that's to me what Michael Myers is and should be. Mm-hmm. Have implying that there's some that he's getting more powerful from killing people. They're starting to bring in elements of the later part of the series, Halloween six, things like that. The the worst parts of the series that nobody likes. Why are you pulling? And maybe I'll find out in the third one that again, Lori doesn't have any way of knowing this. And the things that happen with the vigilantes or her understanding of the situation based off of stories she was told, maybe we'll find out it's all false. None of it's true. And, 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 you know, the reality that the second movie has set up didn't actually happen. Maybe that's where they're going to go in the third film. And if so, okay, I, I would say brilliant, except you made me hate your second film. You made me think the second film was worthless, which I don't really think accomplishes your goal of making a, 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 a trilogy that I'm going to want to go back to and, and, and watch again. Um, I feel like you failed in a lot of ways. And, and like, there's other things too. Like, um, not only do the kid actors return, but like in the first movie, um, Dr. Loomis is going to the hospital because he's going to oversee a transfer of Michael Myers. As they get there, they realize the patients have escaped and they're, they stop on the road and Sam, because they can't get by, you know, and Sam gets out of the car, runs up the hospital, leaving the nurse in the car. Uh, Marion is her name. And in that film, she gets attacked by Michael. He pulls her out of the car and he drives away, right? In this film, that actress is back. She's playing that same character. She's old as hell now. But for some reason, she's part of these vigilantes going around town, hunting him down. And at some point, like she's got a gun and Michael's attacking her. And she's like, this is for Dr. Loomis as she shoots at him. And I'm like, in the continuity of this series, because again, it ignores everything that happens after Halloween 1. We have no idea what happened to Dr. Loomis. He doesn't die at the end of Halloween 1. He normally dies at the end of Halloween 2, or he dies at the end of Halloween 5, 6. <laughs> I don't know. So this is a this is a movie franchise where we have no idea what happened to Dr. Loomis. He does not die. There is no reason that we know of for Marion to be avenging him. And yet her line is this is for Dr. Loomis. Like the line literally makes no sense in the continuity of the film as they've established it. It makes sense if you're drawing on the history of films that do not occur in this timeline. But those events did not occur. So they do not make any sense. Like it's just, it feels like this script never got edited by anybody. Like the first one must have had multiple writers maybe that went through it and somebody at the end there put a polish pass on it that made it gold. And yep. this time they just let the director write it and nobody looked at it because it, it's a disjointed mess. I think, I think. I rest my case. DC Matthews. At well, DC and, and Matthews. I'm interested. Like I have other questions, both about this movie and about, you know, the horror genre and movies in general. Coming to it from a complete outsider, haven't seen any of these movies. Don't with the exception of what I know from you, what I know about these movies, I feel like the third one's going to be, they realize that this connection is happening. And Lori's character realizes that the only way to end Michael Myers is to end herself. 
and that if she if she and I believe to, she's already realized that because she has dialogue to that effect in this film. And I think that's actually why the doctor said or that's why the daughter ends up telling her he doesn't care about you because she's yeah. going on about how she has to die so they can kill him or something. Yeah. And again, she just comes off like a crazy person because yeah. she would have no way of knowing she, any of this. So so really what it is when it comes down to it is this is Halloween kills colon Lori's a horcrux. Yes. Really, I would call it Halloween Kills the franchise, because to me, (laughs) this is just completely. Yeah. But the next one is called Halloween Ends. So I guess that's actually. I think she's going to she's going to die in some way, which will then allow. I I mean, I've assumed that she was going to for a while now, um, just with the way the whole this whole trilogy has been set up. But yeah, I, I think you have a very good idea in terms of you know your idea of the the whole fact that she's a, a rando essentially yeah he doesn't care about you you just happen to be in the same places that he went do you want michael myers to be a supernatural figure or do you want I do not. to just i do not i've got enough of those i think there's something to be said there's something much scarier about him just being a man because that's the sort of evil that's real. You know what I mean? Like that's the sort of evil that could really happen. Freddy Krueger's not popping out of my dreams. That's not real. That doesn't happen. Zombie Jason Voorhees. That's not real. That doesn't happen. But a guy who just happens to put on a mask and says, there's a high school student over there. I'm going to follow her home and I'm going to murder the shit out of her. That happens. That's scary in a real world sort of way. And that's sure. to me why that original Halloween has endured. The reason why it works is because it is just random. There is no connection. It just, yeah. and it's scary because it's plausible. Yeah. I wonder if they thought that in, you know, whether it's modern society, we don't want real, we need the supernatural. We don't want, the idea of a real life killer, but and the thing that gets me is again, like I get it. These guys always have to come back from the dead, so naturally you want to go a supernatural way with it. Yeah. And like, of course, you look at the rest of the series and that did go supernatural ways with it in the previous movies. But again, those are always considered the weakest movies in the franchise. Talk to any fan; they're like, those are the movies that suck. Like, why would you go that way again? I don't know. Jason went to space. It was pretty cool. Oh, no, I'm not talking about Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. Oh, you're, Friday, talking about Hol- th- you're talking about Halloween. Yeah, no, Friday the 13th, that, that series, mwah, perfection. They could not have done that series better by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the, the incorporation of camp and, and, and silliness that just grows over time. Uh, mwah, mwah. I, I, Friday the 13th, uh, yes, I, I enjoy quite a bit. So That's not what I wanted for this new take on Halloween. You didn't, you didn't want the camp. No, I did not. Especially because. They in 2018, the first movie in this series, they did not establish that. It's a very different tone in your second movie in your franchise. Like that to me is just a real weird choice to completely change the feel, the tone of this film uh, in this second film. I just, I, it, it just, it just strikes me uh, uh, as if. You have no idea why your first movie was successful. Everybody's been banking on the fact that, oh, finally somebody who gets it. 
when in reality, they just got lucky. Um, and I am concerned because the same director-writer, after the great success they had, he was tapped to do a Hellraiser series that's coming to HBO. He's been tapped to do a new trilogy of Exorcist films, all off the strength of that one Halloween movie. And yep. if I'm looking at this movie as a follow-up, I'm saying, is it too late to cancel some of those projects? Because <laughs> I don't need to see any of those movies. Do you think that the tone of the movie was affected at all by the pandemic? And the, the only I'm sure reason, it was. The only I'm sure reason they, th- I, I actually, I, more so, I think, you know, some of that town stuff, the hysteria, I think a lot of that was informed by recent politics oh, happening sure. in this that's country. What that's absolutely what it sounded like. And I think they think they're saying something clever, and I think they almost maybe are, but the problem is the execution. And as a moviegoer who is trying to watch something for escapism, I had difficulty watching some of those scenes because I was like, I see enough of this on the news. I don't, yeah. I don't want to see this well, in and, my and, horror movie. And I'm more going, okay, they understand... You know, because this movie was released on Peacock as well as in the box office. And apparently the box office did. It did okay. Yeah, it did fine. Um, But going, all right, a lot of these people, you know, we know we have the the hardcore horror fans who are going to go or who would have gone to see this movie if the pandemic hadn't happened. But now we have this entire new audience on a streaming service, maybe we need to lean into the camp a bit because that might be what some people Maybe, want. but I don't think so because I think this movie was filmed largely before the pandemic happened. It was uh, originally scheduled for release um, Halloween 2020 and they delayed it because of the pandemic. They've just it. been okay. sitting it on a shelf. Um, Interesting. I, I really don't think it's reactionary in that way. Sure. Do you want, this would be my last question before we just spend an hour talking about this. Um, do you want fan service in your horror movies? I want some. Not like, as I don't, much. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think it would have been a problem if, you know, they had wanted to go to the bar and they're watching the television and our main character of this film goes, I can't believe this shit. Can you, Tommy? And Tommy Doyle is the bartender and they pan by him and they don't really mention it. And this person who's not an actor is not a lead actor in you know, your 90 sure. minute movie. I'd be fine with that sort of, of fan service. Sure. Um, but I don't, I don't need you to, to just cram it down my throat, uh, a square peg in a round hole style. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it just didn't, the way that it was done, the execution here is the problem. I, I think, um, again, I think it's great that they brought some of those people back. I think that's a lot of fun. um, but like you look at the first film that was largely carried by Laurie Strode, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Judy Greer, two phenomenal actresses, and now you go to people who don't really act as filling up the majority of your runtime, and it's again, it's just a very different tone of film, like. It, do, it doesn't it doesn't compare and certainly certainly not favorably anyway how many stars in the B movie geek ranking system I mean I gave it two on letterboxd but the more I think about it I think that might have been generous honestly it might be a one star film for me hmm. uh, I don't know 
And, and part of it, don't get me wrong, is I'm very disappointed. I had high expectations yeah. for the film. So I kind of, I'm trying to balance that, which is why I think I didn't give it a one star initially. And maybe my thoughts will uh, mellow over time. And maybe I'll come to think it's earned that too. I, I don't know. but And you're totally going to watch the third one? Yeah, probably. All right. Uh, I probably so, won't be so excited that I watch it opening night, though. Like, it'll mm. probably take me a bit before I get there. Uh, since we started this conversation 36 minutes ago, um, something has happened in the are there going to be uh, any big surprises and returns and things? Uh, the Undertaker is in Saudi Arabia. He came out in the Undertaker garb uh, to introduce Pitbull before Pitbull's concert. I love The Undertaker's legacy. <laughs> uh, so one has to assume he will at least make an appearance uh, tomorrow at Crown Jewel. Yeah, maybe he can introduce um, Hornswoggle or something. There you go. Yeah. Now we're talking. Uh, I will commend you, not only on being able to talk for as long as you did about this movie, but the idea of the movie that you came up with in terms of having it be, you know, like it's random and all of that. I don't know if that was your original idea, if you heard it somewhere or, but whatever it was, that that is an excellent, I would watch that part of that movie. And I don't like horror movies just be, to watch the realization on her face when she realizes like, I've been living in the woods like a hermit for nothing because yeah, like you said, that's the horror of the movie. Like, they almost got there, but... Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's get to our emails. Podcast at DDTWrestling.com. We have a trio of emails. A trilogy of emails, if you will. The first one comes from Brandon Banks, and there is no subject. It's probably been asked in past years... But I don't remember every detail of every episode the way DC's favorite bestie does, so I'll ask it again. If you had to dress up for Halloween as a wrestler, who would you dress up as? If the misses were willing, misses were willing, would you dress up as a tag team or a wrestler and valet or manager? There's more to that email. Said for my iPhone <laughs> while I'm pooping at work. Thank you, Brandon. I hope your poop went well. How often do you do that at work? Poop at work or yeah. send emails while pooping at work? Uh, the more the former, but I guess I'll take the latter too. Um, I don't know. Most days, probably. Hmm. Yeah, no. I'm at work a long time, so I suppose that's <laughs> sort of unavoidable. I suppose that's it. I'm not at work as much, so no. Not every day, you know, but yeah. No, maybe once a month, maybe. Hmm. Well, I, I, are, you, are you a nervous pooer? Uh, I've never enjoyed uh, pooing in public. But I like, you know, you, you do know you wouldn't be in public, right? There's a door. Yes. Like, there's a stall. Yes. You got some privacy. So I, I, I don't have that amount of a problem with it in this setting. But like, if I'm at, you know. All right. No, it, no I, just, I just have I just have a routine morning and night. Yeah, man, if you're regular, you're regular. I I tend to be. Um, I the easy answer is Kevin Owens. Kevin I always Kang. see you as more of a uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart fellow, but 
I I would try Ooh, that. I did. Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson. I I did think one time that you and I could pull off a heart foundation <laughs> cosplay. If we got you a wig, you could pull yeah, off. Yeah, I, I would need you the wig. Need heart. <laughs> um, but yeah, a cutoff t-shirt, a pair of gym shorts, you're already Kevin Owens. Pretty easy cosplay. I've also considered Bubba Ray Dudley, but I would need to like buzz the head. Okay. I can see it. Yeah. I think I could make a good Devon Dudley. <laughs> That's where my mind went. Uh-huh. I wasn't gonna <laughs> Uh, realistically, I'm more of a spike, but you know. Yeah. Or you could be Dan. Well, not dances with Dudley, although he wasn't Native American either. Um, you could be Big Dick Dudley. Be, <laughs> Thank I think you. Think you would be Big Dick Dudley. I appreciate that. Uh, who would you be? Hmm. I don't know. I would probably want to go with a favorite. So I would, you know, something like uh, something like Mick Foley. You know, put on a Cactus sure. Jack shirt and the flannel. Um. I know what we need to do. I will get some tinted glasses and you need a red sequin jacket. Oh yeah. <laughs> we could do, we could do oh, yeah. Bobby the brain and gorilla monsoon. That would be amazing. Absolutely. If we were going to have the misses along with us though, um, I don't know. I, if, if we, I don't see it, I can't envision a world in which my wife would go along with it. If it was the Mansons and DC Matthews, I'm like, let's get some leather jackets. We'll be deuce and domino. And she can be cherry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll do that old pull. Um, I could see doing like uh, the Macho King and yep. letting her do uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. I could sure. see that. Uh, if I could, and it, you know, she, we wouldn't shave her head or anything. I would love to do a Gangrel and Luna Vachon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, things that'll never happen. Uh, I I would wanted to ask you about this. I'm glad Che is bringing it up. Che, Squid Game. Hi, gents. A question based around the recent Netflix hit Squid Game. If you had to outlast a host of other players in a matter of life and death by competing in one game from your childhood, what would it be? Hope you're both doing well. All the best. Che sent from my humanoid fingers. Have you seen Squid Game? I have not. Have you? you? Interested? No. Are you interested? I think I am interested, but I feel like I just need more time to dedicate to it. Sure. So I, I bet you I get to it over winter break if I'm still yeah. thinking about it. I, I could I could see that being a you spend one day of your how many weeks you plan on taking off for that? At least two. Good. Maybe three. We'll see. Don't need that. Yeah. Um, one game from your childhood, especially if I get this job I just applied to. Okay. <laughs> we'll do, see. Do, do you want to talk about that on air or do you want to not talk about that? Yeah, no, no reason I'll, to talk I'll, about I'll, it right I'll now. Inquire, I'll inquire later. Yeah. Um, what was I really good at as a child? Nothing that involved running. Um, and again, it has to be something from your childhood that you're probably good at now. Which is nothing for of, me. Any sort of word game. I'd be okay. I'd, I'd try my luck. I mean, I think I would honestly just go for like a staring contest because even if I lose, at least it's over quick. Like, I don't know. I, you don't think that if you had time to train, if I gave you, you know, a year to practice. Yeah. And, and it was like, all right, you're going to break out. Uh, what did we talk about? Unreal tournament. We're, we're bringing back unreal tournament. You have a year. You think you'd do all right? No, 
Especially because it depends. I mean, it depends on like who else is playing. But like if there's somebody else playing the game who's 20 and, you know, they, they just have quicker reflexes, like your reflexes get worse as you age. It's just the way it is. Um, I don't know that I would stand a chance unless the playing field were otherwise completely even. Uh, what if it what if it was a game like, you know, Civilization five or, you know, even like something like, you know, Starcraft that requires the strategy to building and. I've got nothing. I really I don't know. I don't know. I think I I think I I guess I would just do a horror movie trivia challenge. That's I think I, I, hopefully I'm competing against GQ because that I know I remember, can win. Remember when CNET was all the rage for like three years and then it went away? CNET? Seen, seen it, the DVD. Oh, game, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Where you'd, you know, you'd be like, all right, play this and it'll play you a clip and you have to answer a question. Like, I remember owning like two or three versions of that game and playing them for, again, like two or three years, maybe at the end of college or right after college. And then would they just stop being a thing? Yeah. Was it interesting at all? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think I'm the market. I want to know the squid games, the kind of thing I would read about, but I don't know that I would watch. It's interesting though. A lot of people in my school are talking about it, including Mm. kids. They were playing a game. They were, they used to play among us like out at recess. They found out a way to play among us. And then now they said they were playing squid game. And I was like, so our last email is from Glenn. I have no idea what the subject is because it hasn't gotten through to my email yet. It so. says, that's scary. Hi, guys. In keeping with the season, who would be your top five scariest wrestlers? Doesn't have to be spooky. But when you first started watching wrestling, they made you go, whoa, that dude is scary. Mine was British Kendo Nagasaki, a very big guy dressed in kendo armor that scared the life out of the young armbar. Thanks, Glenn. I like how he asks us for our top five, and he says mine, and he gives us one. <laughs> you son of a bitch, Glenn. Um, let me think here. Who scared me as a kid? As a wrestler, if I had to pick one, it was probably Papa Shango. He's the first name I wrote down. Yeah. If not Papa Shango, it might be Mankind. Um, the real okay. early days of Mankind. Yep. What was that guy that we talked about on um, the list? Waylon Mercy? Yeah. I could see that. Uh, similar vein, Nails. Oh, Psycho nails. Sid. Yeah. I remember Nails, too. That made me think of Psycho Sid. But yeah, Psycho uh, Sid, he, 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 did, he struck me as being unhinged. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I'll go with Yokozuna. He didn't scare me in a like supernatural oh, sort of way. Well, like I was but... totally scared for Hacksaw when that whole thing went down. Yep. Like, yeah, that was scary for sure. Sure. Um, hmm. Ludwig Borga was scary almost in like an Ivan Drago sort of way, which I guess was the entire idea, but he wasn't super scary. But I remember that was around the age that I started really paying attention. Mm. I remember when he beat Tatanka being really sad. Uh, the Undertaker, like old old school yeah. Undertaker. You know, if you go back even further, Kevin Sullivan had some scary stuff when he was doing like the Satanic Cult. But by the time I was aware of that, I was older and it wasn't scary. It was sure, just cool sure. that he was doing it. Um, 
Well, we keep, we, uh, doink the clown. I mean, yeah. yeah. The evil clown. I honestly yeah. think Papa Shango is the answer to this probably for me. But yes. yes. Yeah. I would agree. That was the first name I wrote down. Um, yeah. There you go. I don't know if we got five, but neither did Glenn. So screw it. <laughs> uh, Doc Manson. I know what your piece of positivity isn't, and that would be Halloween kills. Uh, yeah. So I have to ask you, what is your piece of positivity? Oh, geez, that's a great question. I hadn't really thought about it until now. Um, Neither did I, to be honest. Yeah, I mean... Usually I plan ahead. It's been a good week, I guess. A um, little bit slower. Yeah, it's an exam week again, but I've been finding that exam weeks, I only have to prepare two lectures, and I tend to get the exams done over the weekend prior, so I can actually get like a practice exam up. So the week itself tends to be a little bit easier on me what do you do while they're taking the exam proctor what does that look like walk around the room watch them make sure they're not uh wandering eyes just sort of being a presence and that says hey keep your eyes down on your own paper i remind them of what time it is how much time they have left you know answer questions certainly if anybody has any and uh yeah just sort of be present in front of the room and pull a book out no, no. That was what Mr. Jankowski did in pre-calc. He would sit in the front of the room and pull out a book and put his. No, I want to be desk. active. I want to be. I want them to know I'm engaged, so that they don't have try you, any sneaky have shit. Have you caught any of them cheating? No, no. Do you make them turn their hats around so that they can't look up and see like the brim of their ball cap? I probably would, but nobody's was wearing any caps in my class so far. The thing is, though, well, the thing I've heard about that people are doing now is they're writing on the insides of their masks. And so sometimes they'll just do a quick peek or something, you know, and or they'll say, I got to go to the bathroom and then check the mask. So I don't know if that's real or not. I can't say I would have thought of that. That is actually a clever. uh, I sweat so much. It would all be smudged anyways. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, I'd like pull my mask down and there'd be just like ink all over my lips from where I was breathing. So I don't know. I mean, overall, I think my piece of positivity, you know, probably still is experiencing Halloween kills. I was disappointed by it, but I, I had a very similar conversation like this, you know, with Mrs. Manson, who also watched it. Um, yeah. And, you know, having those types of conversations are always fun. So um, if nothing else, this movie has given me the pleasure of discourse with those whom I love. Uh, I was, I, again, I enjoyed Horrid. I enjoyed parts of Sound Scary. Um, You know, I I look forward to both of those coming back in whatever form or fashion we get them, whether it's, you know, regularly or random holiday episodes. Um, But, uh, you know, I, you know, I enjoy listening to the movie and, you know, thinking about it. So, yes, thank you for sharing that. Um, How about you? What's your piece of positivity? I don't know about you, but I have found the last maybe year and a half to two years, as as we are approaching 40, uh, I'm not sleeping as well as I used to. And I've always been weird with sleep and getting up early and things of that nature. Um, but... Uh, you know, I, I've always I've always struggled with sleep. Sometimes I'm up in the middle of the night and it feels like I'm 
wide awake and it should be morning. And so I have glasses. So I put the glasses on and I walk into the kitchen because we don't have a clock in our uh, bedroom. We don't set an alarm. I'm up. Um, no, I can't even say always. Yeah, I suppose always would imply 100% of the time. Um, but I am almost always 99% of the time up before we would ever have an alarm set. And so I go into the kitchen, I see what time it is. And just that act of doing that, putting on the glasses and walking and seeing what time it is. If it's 2.30 in the morning, my body has already begun its wake up thoughts and feelings and things. So I've been struggling with sleep. My wife also struggles with sleep. So it's difficult for both of us. So my piece of positivity, though, is over the last two or three nights, both Mrs. Matthews and myself have gotten a solid night's sleep. Um, the, uh, the Boston Red Sox are in the American League Championship Series. We've had the game on the last couple of nights. We just put it on in the background. We've been asleep before first pitch. Yes, that means we're asleep around 8 o'clock at night. Don't judge me. You don't know my life. And so uh, we'll, be, we'll be asleep by then. You know, you kind of wake up. You look at the game. I can barely make out the scores without putting on my glasses. You, you know, you go to bed. My wife was up for maybe half an hour or so near the end of the game. The Astros scored seven runs in the ninth inning, which is unheard of. And she was cranky about that. But we have gotten two or three nights of pretty solid sleep after a good, I honestly think, two or three weeks of not getting a lot of solid sleep. And so the fact that we have gotten two or three nights of solid sleep, we're up in the morning, we're being productive, we're the attitude is better about things. So yeah, just the fact that we've gotten a couple of nights of really good sleep just changes right. your mental your mental affect. I agree with that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've started taking a, a melatonin supplement from time sure. to time, and I find that it helps quite a bit. Um, not maybe it helps me go to sleep a little bit easier, but also it tends to keep me asleep. And yep. maybe it's a placebo. I don't know. But it seems to do something. So yeah, I've never struggled getting to sleep. Like I get horizontal. Historically, I have not. But yeah. yeah, I'm out within ten or fifteen minutes of getting horizontal. Um, but my wife is very jealous of my ability. Oh my yes, to just pass the heck out. Yep, yep, yeah. And the fact that I am a larger person and I snore. Oh yeah, she hates does me. Not help. Yeah, she does hates not me. Help because. <laughs> Because I have offered to sleep in here. Like we have the, the love sack chair. There's a spare bed. I'm like, I'll fall asleep in here and you can like wake me up when you go to bed. Because I also want to fall asleep an hour or two before she does because I'm usually up an hour before she is. Um, you know, I'll come sleep in here. And she's like, that's not going to help. And I'm like, you can hear me through the door. And she's like, I'm pretty sure I'd hear you if you were out in the car. And I was like, ouch. But, <laughs> but, you know, and and you lived with me for goodness four ish years, maybe even five, and I was heavier then than I am now. Like, yeah, it gets worse as you get older, though. Even yeah. even if the weight doesn't necessarily get yeah. worse. She she did mention the other day. She was like, "Are you sure that your doctor didn't mention sleep apnea?" And I was like, "Did I stop breathing?" And she's like, "No, but snoring is pretty bad." Yeah, so. I'm being told mine is pretty bad these days as well. So I don't know. Well, Something to investigate. Let's go together 
Okay, we'll hold hands. We'll get a, we'll put two beds next to each other <laughs> and we'll get a dual sleep study. Yeah, all right. That sounds all right. <laughs> um but yeah, no. So the last couple of days I felt really good and you know, I've gone to work not nor not as mopey and angry at the world as I usually am. So that is my piece of positivity. Love it. Uh, thank you for joining us on this fun-filled episode 292. I believe is the the number. Uh, we're getting closer to episode 300. Once again, it should set up to be right around the holiday season. So we'll all have something to look forward to and be grateful for. Doc Manson, anything else you would like to say before we head out into that good night? If you'd like to have your thoughts right on the air, send us an email, podcast at ddtwrestling.com. You can listen to our entire back catalog of episodes by going to ddtwrestling.com, ddtpod.com, or to your podcast repository of choice. And finally, if you like what you've heard, and how could you, head on over to patreon.com forward slash ddtwrestling to send just a little bit of financial support to DC and Doc. It helps us keep the lights on and this podcast a train, a chug a luggin. He is Doc Manson. At Doc Manson, I am DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. Thank you for joining us. And until we meet again, my beautiful friends, won't you be our bestie?